listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. We are continuing our First Corinthians series. We are in chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. At the end of the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God. Let me read. First Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be every possible means save some. Now, I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beating, who's beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Brown, and it is a joy to be here with you guys. I was with the Burbank Story City a couple months ago, and don't tell them, but I think I like you guys better. So (laughs) it's really good to be here. So I'm going to be continuing on in your series, Aligning with God's Heart For. And in this passage, I want to talk about aligning with God's heart for your life. So one of the things that I love about the Bible is that of all the ways that God could have chosen to communicate that which was the most important for us to grasp, he chose to do it in a story. And sometimes when you hear the story of scripture taught, we frame it in a four-point narrative with creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's essentially the story of the Bible. Creation in Genesis 1 and 2, how God created this perfect world and the way things were designed to be. The fall in Genesis chapter 3, what went wrong? Why is the world that we inhabit not the one that God created? Redemption, who or what is going to fix it and make it right again? And then restoration from the book of Revelation is the happily ever after. What is God doing and what are our lives about? When you hear that framed, it makes sense because story is how we understand our place in the universe. It's how we make sense of the lives that we've lived. And it's how we understand what God has asked us to be about. 
And in this passage, Paul is going to be referring to his story as well as this larger narrative that governs our lives. And that story led Paul as the apostle to live in a very specific way. What I mean by that is the way that Paul engaged was because of the very specific and unique story of his life. So given that now we call him the apostle to the Gentiles, it makes sense that in this passage, he's going to be speaking about winning people for Christ. That was God's heart for his life in a unique and special way. And so the question for us is, what do we understand the larger story that we're a part of to be, and what is our unique contribution? Here's why that's important. If we're honest, most of us make decisions from small to large based on what is going to bring us the greatest amount of comfort or happiness. And there is not something larger that would govern our decision-making in a different way. So I'll give you an example. I have some friends who work in the esports industry, and one of them got poached by Mr. Beast and went back east, and Mr. Beast is expanding his YouTube empire. And so this person came back to the friends in his, uh, in his network there and invited them all to join the team with a six-figure salary. Now... I have no shade to throw at any decision that any of them are making. It's entirely possible that for some of them, that made the most sense for their career. I genuinely am not trying to, to throw shade on them. However, what was actually happening is this person was going to a community of people in Los Angeles, asking them to uproot their lives, move away from their family, leave their friends, leave their spiritual support community, and move to an entirely new place to start over again for six figures. Again, that might be a good move, but is that the only rubric that we have for making decisions? What's going to lead to a greater amount of comfort for us? So we need this larger story to govern. And Paul, in Romans chapter 6, says something about that. He says, and this is how Paul understood the life that he was living, including the decisions that he was making. Romans 6.4 6, says, we were buried... Therefore, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Death, burial, and resurrection. Paul is saying, I have died to living an aimless life, just floating around trying to find some comfort or happiness. I have identified with Jesus in his death and burial, and now I have been raised to new life, to new pursuits, to a new focus. There is a shape around the life that God has given me. He's understanding the larger story that he's participating in. And in order for Paul to do that, he had to make sense of his own story and his own life because there's no freedom or wholeness in living someone else's life. You, like Paul, 
have a very specific and unique shape around your life. The God of the universe, whether you believe it or know it or not, the God of the universe before the foundation of the world knew your story, knew your personality. He knew your trauma. He knew your experiences. He knew everything about what makes you, you. And if you can receive it today, he wants to redeem that unique story that you have to participate with him in what he's doing. So three things I want to talk about. I want to look at making sense of that story that God's given us. I want to look at how God then redeems that story in the middle of the passage. And lastly, the integrity of our stories, how it is that God is calling us to live out of that. Look at verse 19 through 20. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. So Paul starts out by saying, I'm under no obligation. I am free to serve in whatever way God has called me, and it makes sense then that Paul first starts by talking about reaching Jews. If you know anything about the story of Paul, he held himself up as like the uber Jew, and there's a lot of really uncomfortable passages of scripture where he goes toe-to-toe and say, you think you're Jewish. In Philippians chapter 3, he's giving his credentials, and he said, if anyone thinks they have reason to boast according to the flesh, I do even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to the law, I was blameless. He's really feeling himself. He does the same thing in Acts chapter 23 when he's brought before the council and he tells them, I just want you guys to know that I'm the son of a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's a part of his life and identity and understanding. Here is what my conjecture is about that. He talks about it an unusual amount of times. It's part of the story God gave him. But I would imagine that the very point that used to be a source of pride for him as a young man was a source of shame for him as an older man. When Paul was young, being a Pharisee was his identity. It's how he knew that he was good. And after he came to Jesus, that thing that used to be a source of pride is now a source of shame. As he looks back on the ways that he treated Jesus and his people, and that's something that you have to understand and make sense of. Everyone has a story, and yours is unique to your family of origin, your ethnicity, your particular geographic location, the language or languages that you speak, your gifts, your successes and failures, your strengths and weaknesses, all of that. And literally no one has the exact same story. And one of the reasons for that is because what is unique to you as an individual is not simply the things that happen to you, but the meaning that you made from the things that happened to you. 
The way that you interpreted the events of your life is a very unique thing to who you are. And Jesus gives us such an absolute uniqueness that he sees, he values, and he wants to redeem that story that he is the author of in your life. The first thing is for us making sense of that story and the life we've actually lived for the question, what is God actually calling me to and what does that look like? We're going to come back to that, but I want to show you how Jesus then redeems this story. Look down at verse 22, or 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." So each of our trauma and experiences and everything that we lived is redeemed by Jesus for this reason. Who better to be a witness to someone who feels weak than someone else who's living with chronic pain? Who else is a better witness to someone who didn't grow up in the church than someone who came to Christ later on in life? Paul is saying the message stays exactly the change. The unchanging truth of the gospel is the same from age to age. The approach that we take is different, and the reason for that is because everybody's story matters. And every single person you have ever met has an understanding of the life they've been given and the most effective means of actually establishing some kind of vulnerable connection with another human being is helping them see where their story intersects with God's and what he might actually be doing in their lives. Because that creation, fall, redemption, and restoration narrative isn't just the story of the Bible. You and I, and everyone you've ever talked to, has their understanding of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Every single one of you has an understanding of creation, the way your life was supposed to go. What was supposed to happen? You also have your own understanding of the fall, what went wrong? Why is the life you're living today not the one you thought you were going to live? You also have your own understanding of redemption. Who or what is going to fix my life and bring it back to what I thought it should look like? And then more pertinent to God's heart for our life, the redemption and restoration of all things. What's my happily ever after? What am I doing with my life? What is God inviting me into? Now, the stories that we all have are different, and they're very different today, and I think some of that has to do with generationally. Paul is talking about engaging with other people, identifying with what we can identify with them. For the Jews, become a Jew. For those outside the law, I, I'm not going to appeal to the Jewish law. To the weak, I become weak. He's talking about this contextualization where we're engaging with everyone. One of the things that I think is unique 
unique for us in Los Angeles in 2023 is... um, 50 years ago, a lot of the barriers to the gospel were intellectual barriers. Baby boomers in particular were very concerned with the capital T truth. What is truth? What does that look like? What I think has changed in our culture is a lot of the barriers today are primarily emotional, not intellectual. It has been said that every generation is asking a different question about the world that they inhabit. Baby boomers were asking the question, what is true? My generation came along, Gen X, and we were asking a different question. We were asking, what is authentic? What is real? Then millennials came along and had a different question. They were asking, what is good? What is the good life? And what is goodness in the world? Now we have the youngest generation, Gen Z. They're asking yet a different question. What is beautiful? What is going to lead to human flourishing? And what am I going to be a part of with that? Same gospel message, different barriers, because every generation is asking different questions. And so the kind of connection that serves as a bridge to the gospel, I think most important is in verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. The greatest witness today in an environment of emotional pushback is vulnerability. And it's really interesting that I feel we intuitively know that, and yet our culture is still hell-bent on only telling stories about successes and wins and how our lives are generally getting better and better every day. And yet it is this vulnerability and weakness when we connect with people, and it's only when we are willing to be weak and let someone else in to the things in our hearts and minds and bodies that are unwell and in need of redemption, that any kind of human connection happens. Vulnerability is the prerequisite for establishing that kind of connection that leads to a bridge for the gospel. So I'm a pastor and I spend a lot of my time with other pastors. So this is not a hypothetical situation. You put me in a room with three other pastors where we're all talking about our killer sermon series and how many baptisms we did and how great our structure is, every one of us is gonna walk away isolated, disconnected, feeling less than each other and alone. We call this pastor prayer gatherings, by the way. (laughs) True story. If someone in that gathering were willing to open up vulnerably to share a story about how desperately in need of redemption they are, not in the level of, hey guys, I didn't pray enough this week. Would you lift me up to the Lord? I'm talking about I actually did damage to the people I love the most because of my sin. If someone were to share something like that vulnerably in that environment, it would change the entire tone of the conversation because all it takes is one person. And then we realize, okay, my vulnerability is desired here. 
You can substitute pastor's prayer with your small group, by the way. We love to see accountability in small groups, and yet we're all kind of testing the waters, and when everybody's going around sharing their prayer requests, and the prayer request is, you know what, I set my alarm to wake up at 5 a.m. to pray, and I didn't wake up until 5.15. I feel so ashamed. I said I was going to read through the book of Matthew on my lunch break, but I only got five chapters. Brother, would you pray for me? (laughs) When that's the kind of thing that happens in a small group, people intuitively gather, this is not a safe area for me to bring my whole self to the table. I have to carefully curate what I share because I don't actually think there's any level of understanding here. Paul says here in verse 23, he does all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. For the sake of the gospel, that phrase for the sake means because of the gospel, in light of the reality of the gospel, in the interest of the gospel, I live this way. Our question is how are our lives shaped around the good news of Jesus? How have our lives been shaped around that story that provides comfort and encouragement to us and actual connection with other human beings? What do we see in our lives that is a picture of that? So I want to share an example from my life. Coming up on 10 years ago, I was in a really, really dark place. Um, I was just getting close to approaching 40. I had my famed midlife crisis. I was rapidly approaching burnout. And I began to do a lot of emotional health work in my life and getting some counseling and spiritual director. And one of the things we did was a lot of work about my family of origin. And one of the things that I had not processed was how many of my wounds had come from childhood. And the way that that bears on my story is I now have a particular sensitivity to children being taken advantage of. And everything in me wants to stand up on their behalf because they are the most vulnerable people. Around that same time, God started bringing a couple of foster and adoptive parents to our church. And one of the ladies sent me a couple articles and she said, I want to teach you how to love our family because I don't think you know how. It was bold, but she was also absolutely right. I was aware of foster care, like I was aware of starving kids in Africa, right? I know they exist, but it doesn't impinge on my daily life in any way. She began to take me down this rabbit hole where I realized this is an absolute epidemic in Los Angeles County. So we have right now 35,000 children that have been removed from their families in need of another family to welcome them in, helping their families get back on their feet again. To give you some perspective, Santa Barbara and Ventura counties combined have about 1,000 kids. We have 35,000. We have the greatest child welfare crisis in Los Angeles County in the entire United States of America. And I realized this isn't just something that happens over there. 
I learned that my children and your children are going to school with kids who spent the night in their car. We not only have guidance counselors, we have foster care liaisons in LAUSD because it's that prevalent. Your kids know someone at their school who is either in foster care or is in a terrible situation with their parents and going to be removed. It's not something over there. There are literally hundreds of children in out-of-home care within a two-mile radius of this church building. This isn't just something that happens over there. And as I began to learn more, I began to get more passionate about wanting to help. I realized I had been a pastor for all of my adult life. And I had never encountered the world of foster care, which seemed really weird to me. How is it of all the conferences I've ever gone to and all the things I've ever heard, I have never met those who are caring for children and families in need. And I thought, if that's true of my story, it's probably true of other pastors in LA. And I want to help with that. Around the same time, my wife, who has her own unique story, my wife's story is largely shaped by a concern for the poor and the marginalized, for the oppressed and those being taken advantage of. So she had met a young mom who had four small kids and was battling stage three cancer. And she went over there to bring them some beds and, and bedding and mattresses because right now, if you are unable to provide a bed for a child in your home, the county can remove them. So it's a big deal to not have a bed. So she did that. And then a week or two later, she got a call from a social worker saying, we're going to have to remove the kids. Would you be willing to take them in? Now it's not just my story and my wife's story, but the story of my family and our four children. So we called a meeting and we told the kids and it seemed like there was a couple things pointing to why that might be good for our family. One, every one of our kids loves children. My kids are better with other children than I am. It's fascinating to watch. We had also just recently moved into a house where we had the space to say yes. And so now having the faces of these kids in our minds, knowing they are going to be removed from their parents' house for the first time at that age, how could we say no? So we welcomed them in on March 18th of 2020, just as the world was shutting down. We welcomed another four kids in our home, and we began to realize, at least for that season, that is how we believe our family can best express the truth of the gospel. James 1.27 says that pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their time of distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And it turns out there's a very good reason. By the way, widows and orphans are not language that we use anymore. Our widows are single mothers, typically, single parents, and our orphans are kid in the foster care system. 
And he says, this group of people in particular, by entering into their lives, welcoming them into a family they were not naturally born into to give them a future and a hope is a actual picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly where all of us as spiritual orphans once were, and we couldn't take the first step to God. We needed him to take a step towards us to disrupt the pattern of our lives, and now we've been brought into a larger family as brothers and sisters and cared for. That's what foster care is. So I began um, uh, the nonprofit, The Family Table, in order to do, um, well, we work with three groups of people, and you can uh, see the table back there before we get back into this passage. Um, Number one, we work with other churches to do general advocacy, teaching them about the needs and ways to get involved. I was just at the Burbank Story City talking to one of their small groups about what it looks like to become a big brother or a big sister to a transition age youth. Um, children between the children between the ages of 16 to 21 are the least likely to be adopted, and of those least likely to be adopted, there is a specific group that are not going to be adopted by this point. Everybody wants little babies. That's not good or bad, it just is what it is. So I brought a friend of mine who works with a mentoring program to introduce them ways that they could get involved in mentoring transition age youth. I say that just to say, I don't think everybody should foster or adopt. That's like going from zero to 100 really quickly, but there are a lot of ways to step in and to get involved. It is absolutely perfect for missional communities or small groups that genuinely want to impact their neighborhood, but where do I start? What does that look like? So I would love to get a chance to talk with you guys more as that's one of your focus and your majors and how you want to impact the community and give you some, uh, some different ways. Okay, going back to this passage. First, making sense of our story, the lives that we've lived, the redemption of our story, and the story that I just shared is one of the ways that I make sense of how God has redeemed my hurts and my wounds in order to deeply connect and live and bless another group of people, in our case, that's children and families in the foster care system. But then he ends the passage by talking about the integrity of our stories. This matters because there is some shadiness that we allow in the church for the sake of the lofty goal of making Christ known. And because what we're doing is so important, we think the ends justifies the means. By any means necessary, this needs to happen. It is a temptation for every one of us, which is why it's interesting. In this passage where Paul is talking about becoming all things to all men, he puts the brakes on and says, wait a minute, there's a limit to your identification with people who don't know Jesus. He gives a lot of athletic illustrations, so read with me verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
One of the mistakes that I made when I first planted my church is I understood my role as a pastor to be going away with my leadership team, receiving a vision from God, and then coming back to the church and recruiting people to help me accomplish my vision. That's using people, by the way. I was willing to use people to recruit them to accomplish my vision rather than actually entering into the fabric of their lives and saying, what is it that God has shaped you? What makes you come alive? What makes you want to thrive? And I had to learn that some people, if you ask them to get involved and you say, great, you can become an usher, a sound tech, worship team, or children's ministry, which is it? And they're like, actually, none of the above. I don't want to do any of those things. How is it that we value other people made in the image and likeness of God enough to enter into their lives with that kind of integrity? Because when we use people made in the image and likeness of God, everybody loses. And that's why Paul is using these sports illustrations here. Because in any sport, how we play matters. So most recently, you guys remember Deflategate when the shady, shady Patriots and shady shady Tom Brady kept going to a shady Super Bowl and then we found out he was deflating the footballs so they were easier to throw and easier to catch and it made all their shady wins even more shady <laughs> years ago if baseball is your sport we call it the steroid era in baseball the 90s to the early 2000s everybody was juicing and it kind of calls all those wins into question like did you actually win or was that just the drugs we intuitively recognize there's something that's not right about justifying by any means necessary who we are matters just as much if not more so than what we do so Paul goes on in verse 25 every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Landing the plane here, he's talking about, again, this focus and point to our lives. We were not placed on planet Earth to do some vaguely religious activity. We're not shadow boxing, he says. We're not running aimlessly. There's something that is governing our lives that is bigger than any one of us. And this is not just God giving you a plan for your life. Scrap that. God is inviting you into his plans for the universe and inviting you to be a part of what he's doing. That sounds a lot more exciting to me than just give me something to do on this plot of land that I inhabit. He invites us to get caught up in what he's doing, and Paul here is appealing to that greater purpose behind his life. Do you know what that is for you? Who do you have in your life that might help you discover that? Someone who knows you, that you trust, and that is safe. And then he ends with this in verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In 2023, if we have learned anything from celebrity pastors, spiritual abuse, and moral failure, it's this. 
that our gifts can give us a platform that our character can't sustain and handle. And when that happens, people get hurt. Who we are as followers of Jesus matters. I know in my life, I way over-identified with my gifts for many years because that's how I felt best about myself. And when I started out ministry, three things were true. I was young, I was gifted, and I was insecure. Two of those things seemed like a liability to me, so it's no surprise I leaned into my gifts, because that's how I feel better about myself. We have watched over and over again when God gives someone a platform they don't have the characters to sustain. People get hurt, and Paul's saying, this is why I discipline my body and bring it under control. Lest after preaching to everybody else, I myself am disqualified. And when he says disqualified, he's not talking about a loss of salvation. He's simply talking about what we would miss out on if we had not given our lives for something greater. So I want to end with this. I want to end by giving you an exercise to help you discover what God's heart for your life is, what he might actually be doing with your unique story. This is best done in the context of a community, so I would invite you to consider who you have in your life that is a safe presence, someone that you are able to show up as your whole self with, someone that will also speak the truth in love, and someone who knows you, because sometimes the things that God is doing in our life is more evident to those around us before it's evident to ourselves. So, just like everybody else, we have the narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I want to give you a couple questions to consider that framework so you can identify the truth of your story and what's God, what God is doing, okay? So creation, the question is who or what has most shaped who you are? Who or what have you ground your identity and understanding of who you are as a human being in? And what did you want for your life? What did you think you would be doing right now with your life that you're not doing? We all have that creation narrative. The second is the fall. What do you perceive the obstacles to be that keep you from experiencing the life that you thought you would be living right now? Put another way, what broke? What's not working? What's keeping you back from living that life? The third is redemption. And listen, guys, we all know Jesus is the right answer, but that doesn't mean he's the real answer. We have a lot of functional saviors that we look to to sustain us when we don't think God is going to show up. Let's just be honest about that. The question for redemption is, who do you think is going to fix your life and make it the way it was supposed to be? Who or what are you looking to to fix everything? And last, this is what gets to the shape of your life, restoration. What would happily ever after look like for you?
What is your preferred vision for the future? If everything were going the way you wanted it to go, what would that look like? More than anything, what do you want to be true about your life? The reason why that matters is because God redeems your desires. And contrary to popular belief, not every desire we have is wicked and deceitful above all things. If you have the spirit of God living inside of you, then that means some of our desires are actually good and God-given. Or we might be looking to fulfill those desires in a different category or area and God wants to shift those desires to give us the desires of our heart. What is that? My hope for that is that God will give you the grace to help you make sense of your story being able to own all that's true about you. That God will show you specifically how he wants to redeem that story and give you a purpose to your life. And that he would give you the grace to walk with integrity and honesty as you make sense of that story. So I'd love to pray for you guys. Jesus, I'm always struck. This kind of stuff just sounds so easy when I'm saying it out loud. And yet I know the second that I get away to spend time with you, it's gonna be the hardest thing I've ever done. Wanting to spend time in your presence, wanting to walk towards broken places and broken people, being willing to identify how broken I still am. It's a lot of pain, and it's really hard. And so I pray for every single person here that they would have a safe person to help them make sense of that story. Just one person who knows how to listen, who can hold the weight of their story, and can do so without judgment. That is one of the greatest gifts you can give us. And I pray as this church is just getting going, that these missional communities, these small groups would grow in knowledge and intimacy with each other, that they might become that kind of place for each other. That is one of the most attractive things about any church. And so I pray that that would be true here. Give them the grace to walk in the way that you have designed them to walk, that they would find fullness and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.